Hi, it's Mark Sisson. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast. It's time for another show dedicated to the world of keto. Check out ketoreset.com for details about my New York Times bestselling book and send your questions to info at ketoreset.com. Greetings, listeners. It's your host, Brad Kearns, with our favorite in-house, in-family guest. It's Lindsay Taylor. How are you, Lindsay? Hi, everybody. I'm doing great. I'm excited because tomorrow, when we're recording this, is a big day for us. It is the release tomorrow of the Keto Reset Instant Pot Cookbook, which has been a while in the making, a huge labor of love for Mark and Layla and I, and it is going to be here tomorrow. So that is uh, early May, mm-hmm. available everywhere. Books are sold. Yep. By the time everyone is hearing this, it will be on every major bookseller's shelf. You should be able to find it everywhere. So listeners of the Primal Endurance podcast have heard you many times, and we've had some mm-hmm. keto shows because that's your other area of expertise and passion. And little did we know that you uh, were today uh acknowledged as an instapot whiz i mean it was a it was a quick uh, learning curve from whenever you first got the uh the unit but oh my gosh you guys have been uh just all over this thing for months on end this this cookbook was sort of a rush project because instant pot has become so popular and you pulled in your sidekick layla mcgowan from alabama mm-hmm. and from the keto reset uh, mastery group so basically what we have here is a couple hardcore keto enthusiasts living and breathing the uh the, the strategies and and doing your exercise you're doing the endurance stuff layla's doing the strength and power stuff so we're kind of have all this representation of uh actually adhering to the diet seeing how it works doing some trial and error and then throwing everything in the instant pot so that uh, we bring together these two extremely popular uh, trends of the, the ketogenic diet and the Instant Pot cooking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I actually have had an Instant Pot for, oh gosh, like probably two years now. Um, so I was already a big Instant Pot fan. I was actually an Instant Pot fan before I was a keto fan, to be honest. Um, but yeah, I love my Instant Pot. So this was a really super exciting project. And then bringing Layla on was awesome because Layla has just a completely different background in cooking than I do. Um, you know, I'm more of like a family cook. I cook for my kids and my husband and my friends and more of, you know, just kind of like a traditional down home, delicious stuff kind of cook. And then Layla has a really great background in just different kinds of cuisines from around the world and different flavor profiles. And so she's maybe more of like the risk taker when it comes to recipe writing. And so our collaboration, I think, I hope everyone agrees, turned out really well. Yeah. What's cool is you're covering all the bases from the quick, fun, easy basics for busy people, which I think is the main selling point of the Instant Pot, how fast it is. You throw a chicken in there or you throw an acorn squash and you got you to squash in nine minutes instead of three hours in the crock pot. But there's also that other element of the, the, the gourmet aspect where you're preparing these incredible creations that are unique and uh, clever and you could serve them at a fancy dinner party uh, all emanating from the instant pot but they're not uh you know they're not quick and easy and simple so the book goes from from one spectrum to the other and it has uh, something to offer for 
whatever mood you're in on that particular day. Yeah. If people follow me on Instagram, they will have seen that when I was writing this cookbook, I actually hosted a bunch of Instant Pot dinner parties because I was making so much food and testing so many recipes that at one point I had... I have two of my own Instant Pots and then I had borrowed a friend. So I had three Instant Pots going at any one time in my kitchen for weeks on end. And um, I had people over for dinner a lot because I was making more food than my little family could eat. And yeah, we have a huge variety of types of food. So everything from just kind of, you know, what you'd expect in an Instant Pot roasts and whole chickens and soups and how to make bone broth and how to do, you know, cauliflower and that traditional keto fare. And the Instant Pot is great for those um, because, you know, it's like you kind of, it's a set it and forget it kind of thing. But then, yeah, you can do all sorts of more elaborate, more exciting, more interesting, you know, more complicated even things in the Instant Pot. Like the Instant Pot's kind of marketed as a convenience tool and it is convenient for a lot of things, but it is really actually super diverse in terms of what it can be used for. And so you'll find in the cookbook recipes that are like throw a bunch of stuff in and set it and then come back 15 minutes later. And then you'll find ones that are like, you know, multiple steps and using different functions on the Instant Pot. And so if you're an Instant Pot enthusiast and have only done things like stew and soup and, you know, maybe maybe a whole chicken. Yeah, we have stuff in here that's you're going to be like, oh, my gosh, I didn't know you could do this in an Instant Pot. Well, speaking of the buttons and all that, I'm I'm kind of a fast and easy uh, person in the kitchen. I do enjoy preparing meals, and some of my preparations have snuck into some of the books, and I'm so proud of that. <laughs> you can see this is from Brad. His bark goes a big hit, uh, or my my chicken thing with the uh, the walnuts smeared on it was just uh, fun and games in the kitchen one day. But some of this stuff is it's so exciting when something comes out good. Um, but speaking of all those buttons. Mm-hmm. Um, when, when we took on this project and we all jumped all over this thing and had to, uh, you know, produce content in a short amount of time, you get this thing out of the box and it's kind of intimidating with all these little cute terms about your, your oatmeal button and your There's no oatmeal stew button. button. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but it's like, um, I, I think what happened and I, I want to just convey this is like, it's so much easier than it looks, uh, on that first day when you open it up and go, whoa, now I got to read this long manual because, um, you know, the, the multi-use uh, pressure cooker machine, that's the official term. Um, basically, your, your main feature there is this pressure cooking function mm-hmm. where you form a sealed airspace mm-hmm. and cook things in a fraction of the time that you usually would through other methods. And so uh, when you can focus on the simplicity of like looking up a recipe and noticing that you push, you know, nine minutes on pressure cooker for the acorn squash and it comes out great, uh, you kind of you just cut to the chase. And uh, there are these bells and whistles, which I guess uh, machines are made to attract people, but it doesn't have to be, you don't have to um, uh, learn, you know, 12 different uh of settings and functions. You can just go and uh, push the push the timer and let the thing cook. Oh, totally. Yeah. I've had so many friends since they found out I was writing this book say, that's awesome. I'll totally buy it because I have an Instant Pot, but I haven't really used it yet because I haven't figured it out. And it's like, well, there's really, you don't really have to figure it out. It All the buttons and stuff are fun. But honestly, I do... 95% of my cooking with the Instant Pot using either the saute button or the manual or pressure cook button. So I have an, I have the original OG Instant Pot that has a manual button and then I have a newer one that has a pressure cook button and it's exactly the same. They're, they're the same 
um, function. And yeah, if you can just learn how to use saute and pressure cook, then you can make every recipe in the book. Um, I do recommend, though, if you're new and intimidated, definitely following recipes because you can overcook things. And of course, just like any other cooking method, you can undercook things. So we've tried really hard to write out steps exactly, like press this button, then press this button, then turn this knob. And it should be super easy to follow. But definitely, if you're feeling intimidated, yeah, just follow a recipe exactly. And then once you've made three or four things, you'll be like, oh, I've got this. This is super easy, actually. Yeah, what's cool is uh, Mark Sisson, all along from his his storied cookbook career, he's always come out and said, look, you know, I'm the guy, I'm not a big guy in the kitchen, but I, I love to eat and I love to, you know, test the bounty of uh, these these great creations that his uh, his contributors have made. Uh, but in this case, like with his move to Miami and getting set up in a new environment and being super busy and traveling a lot, uh, the Instapot has really come into central prominence in his own kitchen. And he's backing and forthing us saying, let, let me try this recipe. What do I do with this one? And, uh, you know, they're, they're kind of, uh, it, it's a perfect fit for their, their new lifestyle in Miami where they don't have the, um, the staff and the big meals and the, um, you know, the, these preparations made for them to come and sit down and eat. So, um, and, and then Layla's contribution coming in with all those uh, ethnic dishes and, and creativity, it's, it's a real whirlwind. Yeah, what's really interesting is so obviously like Mark and Layla and I are all coming at this from completely different angles. You know, Mark having just moved down to Miami with Carrie and it's just the two of them down there for the most part. And then Layla and her husband also um, are cooking for two. And then I'm cooking for a family of four and we all have different needs and kind of different priorities for what we want to make in the kitchen. And the Instant Pot works for all of us. You know, and Mark, of course, is most famous for his big ass salad, right? But one of the things about a big ass salad is you have to have ready-made protein of some kind. And I honestly use my Instant Pot to make hard-boiled eggs and then to batch cook things like either roasted chicken, obviously not roasted chicken because it's in an Instant Pot, but, you know, chicken breasts or thighs or a whole chicken and then, or, you know, big hunks of meat. And um, occasionally, like something like salmon or um, tuna, you can cook up super quickly. So you can totally make the protein for your big ass salad in batches in your Instant Pot, which I know is something that Mark's been doing a lot more of. And then you just stick it in your fridge or you batch it out and you put it in your freezer in portions, right? You freeze portion sizes of cooked meat and then it's super easy to just whip it out and um, have your meals basically prepared in five minutes if you have it already done. So if you had to rank the absolute best preparations that are perfectly suited for the Instapot, I know bone broth's way up there because I'm so tired of making 48-hour bone broth and forgetting about it and uh, having the smell come out and people complaining. Uh, and this thing uh, shortens that down to uh, a couple hours so you can constantly have bone broth in your game. What other uh, types of foods are up there on the list where the Instant Pot really takes it to the next level. Okay, so I use my Instant Pot mostly for, like you said, bone broth and hard-cooked eggs are the two that are just my staples. I probably do, you know, at least two of, you know, two batches a week of one of those. Um, I love it for hard vegetables like spaghetti squash, beets, which I know is something that most keto people aren't eating in abundance, but if you do roast beets, Beets are great in the Instant Pot. And um, my husband, who is more primal than keto at the moment, uses it for potatoes. So anything that's 
like a hard or root tuber vegetable. But then, like I said, bone broth is something I use it for on a probably weekly basis. And then also, I just really love it for throwing in um, soups. So I use mine for soup a lot. I really like soup. So there's a bunch of good soup recipes in the book or stews, but I will use it for um, actually reheating leftovers into a soup. This is something I do a lot um, is I'll take leftover meat or vegetables and either scramble them with eggs on the stovetop or I'll just throw them into the Instant Pot with some bone broth especially if it's going to be like a pureed soup, you can honestly just throw them in, just pick a time and then just cook them. They, the flavors cook together really beautifully. And then you can optionally use an immersion blender or a stick blender to blend the soup into a different texture. So those are my number one things I do in the Instant Pot. The other thing I love the Instant Pot for is because like I said, I do have two little kids and they're both in sports and we're always running around. Like we're so, we're such a stereotype. I drive a minivan, like the whole thing. And um, I will often forget to thaw things for dinner, but I like to make dinner. I, I, we almost never ever run through a drive through or anything like that. That's just not our, our family style at all. So I will take frozen salmon fillets out of the freezer and put them directly into the Instant Pot and cook them for four minutes, um, depending on the thickness, but four is usually what I default to. And you will ha- you can have cooked salmon from frozen. You can also cook um, chicken breasts or any other meat from frozen as well, but it works really well for fish, I find. So that's my, my go-to. Oh, no, I forgot to make dinner is frozen salmon directly into the Instant Pot. Oh, my goodness. I didn't know it was that fast. And I, it, it doesn't harm the fish to... Uh... To go through that uh, rapid process from frozen to cooked? Nope. That's incredible. Nope, not at all. And if you were, if you were going to thaw the fish safely, right, what you would do is, I mean, ideally you would thaw it in the fridge all day, but if you forgot, you would be running it underwater, you know, under running water in your sink, which first of all, uses a ton of water, which in California, we try not to use a ton of water because we're always in the drought. But also in the time it would take you to thaw the fish to then cook the fish, you have it fully cooked in the Instant Pot, including the time it takes for the Instant Pot to come up to pressure. You know, so it's it's a no-brainer. Just throwing the fish in there is so easy. And you said chicken and other meats too can just come out of the mm-hmm. freezer and right in there. Yeah, and again, I would follow a recipe the first time. Just Google, you know, Instant Pot frozen chicken or frozen beef or whatever to find what time is recommended. But yeah, you can totally do it. I do find that with chicken, if you're going to cook from frozen... I prefer to then just plan to shred it just because, you know, it's it's hard to know exactly with the thickness of the chicken, exactly predict what the texture will be when it comes out, right? But if you're planning on, you know, doing it with, um, you know, putting in salsa or like a cream sauce and shredding it anyway, it's no problem whatsoever. Gosh, we are just going to town on this little Instant Pot commercial. I feel like one of those... Uh radio infomercial people, you know, where you're saying, tell me about brain power, Dr. Lindsay. (laughs) Well, I take two pills every morning and I feel great. Uh, But we are pretty happy to to bring this into the... the keto reset movement with our digital course, the best-selling book that started this whole thing, and then trying to extend out and help people uh, adhere uh, better and more conveniently to uh, ketogenic style eating. So, speaking of that, you know, we can get into the uh, the nitty gritty now um, about 
what is a keto recipe? What is a keto-friendly recipe? Do we have exact macros that we have to adhere to? What is this all about when you're opening up this book? And um, is this going to throw you right into ketosis if you just follow the recipes in this book? Or uh, what's the big picture like? So a couple things here. So first of all, one thing I want to just make clear from the outset is that if you are following a keto diet, right, which is defined mostly by being a low-carbohydrate diet, all the recipes in this book are obviously written to be relatively low-carbohydrate. All the recipes do have macros given, of course. Um, and if you are following a traditional keto diet, which is low-carb, moderate protein, kind of whatever that means, and then higher fat, you might look at the macros in some of these recipes and be like, oh, this has more protein than fat or this has you know, more carbs than I would expect or whatever. Obviously, everything is meant to fit into the bigger picture of a ketogenic diet, but not every single dish is going to be, say, you know, 70% fat, 23% protein and 7% carbs. Did I do the math right there? Um, because not every meal when you're eating keto has to adhere to specific ratios or a very specific profile, right? So when you're eating a keto diet, you're going to be looking at, you know, two or three meals at a time, maybe two or three days at a time to determine whether or not your macros are quote unquote correct. What you don't ever want to do is do a giant, you know, dose of high carb because that'll raise your insulin and it'll temporarily at least reduce your ketone production in your liver. But it's okay if every meal doesn't adhere to a strictly keto macronutrient ratio profile that you would expect. Besides the fact that with the keto reset, we don't really recommend looking at um, ratios per se. We look at grams. But also just remembering that there's a lot of different ways to quote unquote do keto, right? That there's a lot of different ways that keto can look depending on the individual, depending on their needs. You know, people who are more insulin resistant are going to need to be lower carb, but some people like me who are an endurance athlete might get away with slightly more carbs. And so there's lots of ways that keto can be executed and still work for individuals. Likewise, you know, if you're only eating two meals a day, then it's okay if your both of your meals have, you know, 20 grams of carbs. Whereas if you're eating four times a day, you're not going to want to eat a meal that has 20 grams of carbs, for example, right? So the other thing you'll notice if you look at keto recipes, keto branded recipes, especially online, is that a lot of them will just throw in a hunk of cream cheese or a half a cup of heavy whipping cream or a bunch of butter just to drive up the fat in the recipe and that's fine for flavor and it's fine if that's how you're choosing to eat. But of course, at the Keto Reset Diet, our main goal is to get people eating nutrient-dense food and reducing the carbohydrates, not just kind of automatically driving up the fat just because keto is generally thought of as a high-fat diet. So you will notice in our recipes that we did not go out of our way to just add fat to drive up the fat macro. So of course, whenever you're eating any of our recipes, you always have the option of adding olive oil or cheese or sour cream or whatever it is if your goal is to eat more fat. But what we wanted to do was center our recipes around high-quality meats, high-quality produce, keeping the carbohydrates low enough that they would be compatible with a ketogenic diet, 
And what that does is it allows people to then kind of flexibly adjust the amount of fat to be appropriate for their own fat loss goals or performance goals or you know therapeutic goals or whatever they are. Whereas if you just have a ton of recipes that are just the traditional, you know, bacon, butter, heavy whipping cream, cream cheese, then you don't have the flexibility to adjust them to your goals. And it becomes really easy to overeat calories and to overeat fat above and beyond what you actually need. So again, there's lots of different ways to do keto. But one of the things we see a lot in our, that comes up probably two or three times a week in our group is you know, because keto is the thing right now, it's super hot and popular and people are really catching on, which is great. The other thing that's super hot and popular and the thing right now is to write popular media articles bashing keto. And all these articles have the same theme. And one is, or themes, I should say. One is so much fat, so much bacon and butter, not good for you, not sustainable, not interesting not delicious, which is obviously not at all the type of keto that we recommend for people. And then the other thing is just simply not sustainable because of the high amounts of fat you're eating. And again, that's not at all representative of the type of keto we're doing. So people will post these articles in our group and say, you know, what do you guys think about this? Are these valid criticisms? And it's like, well, yeah, maybe they're valid criticisms of one type of a keto diet, but it's certainly not the type of keto diet that we're recommending, you know, that you and Mark wrote about in the keto reset diet, the type of diet that we're recommending and that we um, promote and that, you know, Mark and you and me and Layla all follow ourselves when we're doing keto involves a lot more meat, a lot more vegetables, and then fat in moderation as needed. So that's what the recipes are going to reflect in this book. Yeah, the misinterpretations and the twisting and turning of the message and the the basic strategy is a a little disturbing. I just saw a podcast titled um, Plant-Based Versus Keto, the the Diet Wars or something like that. And it's like, well, wait a second. I think, um, you know, we're plant-based also. We're encouraging, you know, abundant intake of nutrient-dense vegetables, which contribute minimally to uh, your insulin flooding the bloodstream like uh, processed carbs do. And mm-hmm. so it can be this, uh, you know, very nutritious, veggie, plant-based diet. Uh, but the distinctive feature is that you're not going out of your way to consume uh, more carbohydrates from this grain-based diet, which is now pretty much undisputed to be causing big trouble. And even if you want to argue in favor of a grain-based diet, we're looking at the obesity trends and the people who have been cutting back on their fat for 50 years dutifully due to marketing propaganda and, and government, uh, you know, misconstruing that, that, you know, putting all fats together in a certain category and saying to consume them sparingly, um, how, how disparate this is from our ancestral example. So what I'm trying to do is kind of wade through and kind of come to some common ground so that we can all be in agreement that, you know, a plant-based diet is a really good idea. And then the benefits of keto are undisputed. There's some great science showing that when you're in ketosis, your brain is getting more oxygen. That's why it's been used for 100 years as a a seizure protective type of diet. And that should be of interest to everybody, especially when we're now seeing research coming out that 
you know, the high carb, high sugar intake in particular is being increasingly tied to these conditions of cognitive decline that are increasing at an alarming rate. And it's being tied to this standard American diet. So it really is a good time to wake up and consider the nutrient content of everything that's, you know, on your plate. And the natural nutritious fats definitely have a place. It's hard to argue uh, the avocado out the door, even though some people are still trying to hang on by a thread and say that, um, you know, fat's going to make you fat and all those things. But I think generally we're making progress. And then, like you point out, these salacious articles will probably always be there. They'll be in the fitness scene, too, where, you know, long distance running is a waste of time. You should do uh, intensity and you'll you'll get fitter much faster. And then, you know, you sort through um, the, the, the message and, you know, some of, some of the validity is there, but they're spinning and twisting the message to like kind of uh, hook you in. Yeah, this false dichotomy that's coming up a lot in popular media articles about plant-based versus keto just makes me crazy because my diet is both plant-based and keto. Absolutely. As anyone who follows me on social media with my food pictures flooding them all the time, we'll see that I eat tons of vegetables, both in terms of volume and in terms of variety every single day. And I'm definitely in ketosis. I measure my ketones occasionally just for fun to see what's happening. And I'm always in ketosis when I expect to be in ketosis, whenever I'm restricting carbs from things like sweet potatoes or you know not eating apples or whatever. But otherwise, I eat basically unlimited vegetables and I'm fine. And I realize that you know I am a person who is metabolically healthy and very active. And so you know my particular iteration of keto might need to be tweaked for people whose backgrounds are different, but there's no reason that you can't have both a high plant content and ketogenic diet. There's For most of us, that is a completely false argument against keto. And then the other argument is about it being not sustainable that you you see in these articles. And it's the same kind of problem, right? It's not sustainable if you're just eating a very limited variety of fruit. I mean, food, obviously you're going to eat limited fruit. If you're eating a very limited variety of food, if you're just absolutely stuffing yourself to the point of feeling sick with fat instead of eating real food, that doesn't feel good. you know. And if you're, say, fasting more than you need to or before your body's ready, like we talk about in the keto reset diet. So yeah, it's not sustainable if you're doing a version of keto that's not optimal. Sure, it's not sustainable, but I've been doing my version of, you know, high nutrient density, high variety keto for a solid year now, and I am not bored at all. Well, I think you hit on the the biggest problem of all, and that is people jumping into this without being fully prepared. And we went to such great lengths in the keto reset diet to uh, present this this journey from start to finish that had these checkpoints along the way to make sure that you can continue on that you should continue on the journey that you're making that progress and then when you you know make that uh, extreme carb restriction for most people down to 50 grams per day even primal paleo people you know might be having or or quartering their carb intake and that's a significant drop uh, and what what's happening, it, it appears to me and, and, and talking to people and just getting the vibe is people are like learning about this. It's so popular. It's great. You saw a video, you read an article, you bought the book and you're going to do it. And we have these highly motivated, 
uh, goal-oriented folks that are, you know, care enough about their health to try something so extreme because that I just uh, eliminated 90% of the population that's definitely not listening to this podcast and just too lazy to even, you know, stop consuming the, uh, the, the chemically laden Oreos. Okay, so then we're in this small segment of the population that's going to do whatever it takes to reach their goals and adhere to them, but they jump into keto and all they're getting is one big fat stress response. Yeah, and I do want to mention too, I mean, as you mentioned who is listening to our podcast, so probably a lot of the people listening right now are already somewhere on the primal paleo spectrum, right? So for for us, you know, I was primal for like, you know, hardcore primal for probably five or six years before I went keto. It was not that big a change. You know, we call this diet extreme because it's extreme compared to a fad diet, but it's really not that extreme compared to a primal diet which is still something that a diet that we both believe is incredibly healthy and sustainable and the optimal human diet for sure. So if you're already primal and you're just looking to take a further leap into keto, it's really not that big a deal. If you're coming from a place that's a sad diet you know, profile or something kind of more traditional, higher grains, higher sugar, then yes, it is going to be more extreme. And so it's going to be a bigger transition. Um, But what I find is like, is that we see people coming in and thinking that if, you know, if you're coming from a place of a sad diet and you want to be keto, that you have to, that it's like, those are your only two choices, right? You're either eating unhealthy or you're eating healthy keto, but really there is this in-between place, which is primal or paleo, but primal obviously is how we think of it. And that it's, again, just like our version of keto focuses on food quality, nutrient density, eliminating harmful modern um, processed foods and industrialized oils. That's still an incredibly healthy place to be eating. And so there really isn't a good reason for many people who's, who just have general either weight loss or health and wellness goals to rush into keto and skip that intermediate step of primal and getting your food dialed in in terms of learning what foods do and do not make you feel good before thinking about macros. You don't have to go keto right away to greatly improve your diet if you're coming from a place of a standard American eating pattern. Right. And I think it's a good idea to show some indications that you're ready to try this, which would be, for example... Uh, being able to fast comfortably until midday. In other words, comfortably meaning your cognitive function is optimal. You can perform a workout in a fasted state and uh, continue for uh, a period of time afterward without having to inhale calories. And a lot of times um, that that uh, metabolic fitness is not there. And then uh, just I wanted to elaborate a little bit what I was talking about, the, the stress response is when you're still glucose dependent or you know on that spectrum uh, trending in that direction uh, and you, you eliminate the glucose from your diet, your body will simply make whatever glucose you need uh, through that emergency fight or flight response activation of gluconeogenesis. That's breaking down lean muscle mass into glucose to fuel your energy needs. So we want to minimize that chance of happening by getting really, really good at, at burning fat and making ketones and not having to 
you know, the, the brain uses 150 grams of glucose a day, mas or menos, and when we can get really keto adapted, we can obtain up to two-thirds, maybe three-quarters of that energy from ketones, putting our glucose requirements down to very minimal, you know, our baseline glucose requirements. Uh, but on the other hand, if you're not fat and keto adapted, you're going to be 100% reliant upon glucose. So you need, you know, 150 grams a day minimum, not counting whatever exercise needs and other basic needs that are going to elevate that requirement. It's going to be really, really difficult. So uh, we can't stress enough taking those necessary steps, step by step, where you start to fool around with um, skipped meals and fasting and see how it goes. And at any time when you experience hunger or decline in energy or mood, uh, anything that's unstable, you go ahead and reach for a nutritious snack or meal, even if, it, even if it has that carbohydrate content. And then over time, you just set your sights on the horizons and know that uh, with you know, continued effort, you're going to progress further down that road and things are going to get easier to the extent that as many people that are deep into this are saying, I don't even realize that I skipped a meal. I just look at my clock and it's 3 p.m. and I realize I haven't eaten. And it's just because you're so good at burning energy internally that your body doesn't even realize the difference from whether you had a morning meal or not. Let's stick a pin in this hunger topic because I really want to come back to it. But I just want to also mention, you know, you're talking about the physiological stress of going through a metabolic transition, but I also really think that people underestimate the importance of minimizing the psychological stress. And I see probably more psychological stress than, you know, probably what would be physiological stress in people trying to transition to keto. You know, a lot of related to this idea that there is one true way to do keto. But I just really think that people underestimate the degree to which psychological stress, worrying about your diet, micromanaging, wondering all the time if you're doing it right. You know, tracking is important, but you know, you need to understand that tracking is imperfect. So, you know, worrying about every gram and every calorie that goes in your mouth, those things are also, just like physiological stress, the enemy of a successful transition, right? And that's another argument for doing a slower, more gradual transition through a primal eating style into a ketogenic eating style. You know, getting comfortable with the types of foods that are or are not included in what we consider a healthy version of a primal or ketogenic way of eating. Because when you are comfortable with the types of foods you're eating first, and you have, you know, eliminated the foods that were for you, you know, comfort foods. You know, if you have are a person who's coming into this, who, you know, has a dessert after dinner every night, or who, when they're stressed, runs through a drive-through, or you know, goes to Starbucks and grabs a cake pop, or you know, whatever it is, your trigger comfort foods are. Giving those things up and learning how to eat a primal diet can be a big change. So if you can become comfortable with that first, then just like I was alluding to earlier for myself, then the transition to keto is only involves now tweaking your macros. Whereas if you're trying to completely unlearn your old way of eating, you're giving up all the foods that for you have an emotional tie, a comfort factor, and you're trying to figure out how to cook this and you know for a lot of people they find that their spouses or partners are not totally on board at first and you're trying to figure out how to do it with kids and you're trying to count your macros and you're worrying about whether you should be fasting and all these things are happening at the same time 
it's going to be a lot more difficult and you're more likely to experience setbacks or not to experience the kind of the rapid transition you're probably hoping for because any kind of stress, whether it's physiological or mental, is going to trigger responses in your body that are counterproductive. So that's another big argument in terms of or in favor of going through process outlined in the keto reset diet and also for not rushing that metabolic reset period. You know, we have it as a three week metabolic reset period, but if you're finding that the mental game is tough for you, even if you're finding that the physiological stuff is okay, then really consider staying with the metabolic reset, which is just, you know, the primal period essentially for as long as it takes to feel comfortable. And you should be going into the keto reset only when you're feeling highly motivated and excited about trying something new. And in a low stress period of your life and you have that positive energy going in and you can't wait to try the new recipes and the keto reset instant pot cookbook and all those fun factors. And I'm so glad you brought that up. Dr. Lindsay Taylor, behavioral psychologist on the line, also an author. <laughs> oh my gosh, what don't you do? But getting that psychological aspect dialed is... We're not just uh, blabbing here because you're on the Keto Reset Facebook group every day. And some of these questions, I'm, I'm sorry to, um, to to call you people out, but when someone writes in and says, I've been doing keto for three weeks and I'm so frustrated I haven't lost a single pound or, or a comment like that, uh, it implies that they didn't really read the book or grasp the big picture, which was pounded down, you know, the, the reader's uh, the reader's head over and over saying, this is a long-term plan. This is going to set you up for a lifetime of metabolic flexibility. These benefits are wonderful and they are accessed with the patient, a deliberate approach, not an extreme approach. So we have to just re-educate that mindset where you're obsessed with the uh, the superficial results, like dropping some excess body fat and uh, in the process, uh, discounting the proper way to get there. And, you know, if, if uh, reduction in body fat was a natural byproduct of modifying your diet, eating nutrient-dense foods, proceeding at a comfortable pace, uh, not allowing any psychological stress to enter into it, because literally stress equals sugar. When you have that stressful existence of whatever it is, if it's overly stressful workouts, not enough sleep, or the psychological stress of, uh, you know, checking off those and, and, and boxes that you just mentioned, you are going to program your body to prefer glucose, to crave sugar, to want to spin out and backslide into these, um, into these binge behaviors that are uh, aligned with uh, stress in your life. Yeah. And we can't quantify how much this happens, right? So, I can tell people all day that, you know, you're overthinking this, you're bringing a ton of anxiety into this process. You know, it's sometimes interfering with your sleep or you're not also working in the sleep. And the best I can tell people is that all these things really matter, but I can't tell you how much. Like I can't tell you, you know, for you, when you're thinking this hard about your meals, that's going to you know, set you back, I don't know, like 30%. Whereas for this person, it's 50%. And for this person, the stress response maybe isn't so great, even though they're on paper seeming to bring the same amount of stress to the table. So the best thing that you can do for yourself is to work on... And I know this is hard if you're feeling bad and you're feeling... Of course, everyone when they have a health goal wants it as soon as possible. But the best thing you can do for yourself is... Just respect the fact that the mental game is a huge part of it. 
and do your best to minimize the anxiety you're bringing to it, which means you know, not micromanaging, not having unrealistic expectations about the speed with which things happen, giving yourself the grace to not be perfect, even though you can strive for 100% compliance, right? But like, for example, you know, maybe you eat something, you think it's fine, and then you realize when you enter it in your macro tracker, like, oh, wow, that had a lot more carbs than I thought. And I was aiming for, you know, 45 today, and I'm up at 65. Okay, well, don't compound that by now freaking out, right? Just be like, well, that happened. That's interesting. And move on with your life because that's just going to be a part of this process. And I cannot stress enough how much people's mental anguish that they bring to this process is counterproductive. Yeah, we're going to have to uh, rewind and listen to those words carefully, that your carefully chosen words. And I want to make the distinction between that and this other common phenomenon that I see which is the kind of loosey-goosey mentality where we have these rationalizations and these stories and these quips like, hey, everything in moderation, I'm doing this keto thing, but hey, not tonight because, you know, I I don't want to turn down the cupcake that, uh, you know, my relative made for my nephew's birthday. And this is a big, big celebration for him. He's turning 10. So, of course, I need to slam this cupcake and then um, not worry about it and tell a story. And I think... um, for some reason, with all the temptation and all the decadence and the luxury that we have in in modern life, we're not very good at uh, the core human uh, attributes like discipline, focus, uh, living and behaving in a manner that's aligned with our stated goals. And I see this with even the highly motivated athletes too, where, you know, today's a recovery day. I'm going to pedal my bicycle down the bike path for an hour and make sure my heart rate is, you know, 20 beats below maximum. And then someone passes them on a cruiser with cutoffs (laughs) and everything goes out the window because their reptilian brain, the competitive instinct has been launched and they have to pass that person because they're riding a $7,000 bike with tight lycra clothes. And when it comes to diet, I see the same thing happening over and over where people are well-meaning, they're well-intentioned, they understand, they have all the knowledge that they need. And oh my gosh, when you go and uh, attend a live lecture and the questions that come from the people, I mean, some of these people be smarter than the panelists in many cases. I'm like, yeah, whatever you say, man, good question. I don't know the answer, but it seems like you do. You know, so we're all steeped in knowledge and we have everything set up for us to succeed. But somehow, some way, we keep drifting in this direction or that direction, and then things aren't working out as we dreamed of, and it's it's due to lack of commitment. So we're kind of hitting this from from both sides of the coin, where you're telling people, look, you can't be overly stressful and overly wound up and orthorexic about this stuff. But then on the other side, um, we can't be loosey-goosey all the time either. So how do we hit that sweet spot in the middle? No, totally. So a couple of things that when you were talking, I thought about one is that, you know, the degree to which you have, uh, let's just say permission for lack of a better word. Um, But as people in the group know, I say a lot, like I am not the police. I'm not your mom. It's not my job to tell people what they can and can't do. But in terms of recommendations, right? If you are far from your goal and if you have been making choices that are not consistent with your goals for years or decades, you are going to have to be stricter than someone who has achieved their goals or who's just doing this for general health. And that's just the way it is, right? So 
you know, for me who's doing this for general health, but otherwise I feel pretty good on a day-to-day basis. You know, I'm doing this for athletic performance, but I'm not trying to heal myself from anything in particular. I can probably have the cupcake and be fine. Um, Although a cupcake is never obviously an optimal choice, but could I? Yes. Is it a less bad choice for me than it is for someone who is still really struggling with insulin resistance? Obviously. So you need to look at the reality of your situation. So we talk a lot about, you know, that this shouldn't be a struggle and suffer fest for people to transition through primal and then into keto. But that doesn't mean you never have to make choices that are not the ones that you want to from a purely hedonistic perspective, right? Like obviously if you are someone who loves cupcakes and there are cupcakes and you know that you should not have the cupcake, that's going to feel bad for a while, right? So not struggling and not suffering doesn't mean never making hard choices or never denying yourself anything. But it does mean hopefully what you can do is A, appreciate the reasons why you're making those hard choices. And then B, the choices you do make in terms of your food should be enjoyable. So you shouldn't be eating, you know, when you're eating food that is, you know, your on plan food or your keto food or whatever, it should be food you enjoy. It should feel good. And if you're not enjoying how you eat, then you need to change it because you do not have to struggle and suffer to eat ketogenically. Sometimes you might have to suffer a little bit to not eat a sad diet, but that's a different question altogether. And you just have to accept that as part of the reality of when you choose to be healthy and you choose a specific way of eating and you choose to eliminate some of the foods from your diet that are, you know, hyper palatable, um, <laughs> addictive, right. delicious, you know, and that we've been trained to associate with comfort and happiness, then yeah, saying no to those foods is going to be hard, especially at first. But I really, I can promise you from my own experience and from other people's experiences, many, many other people's experiences, that you will reach a point where those foods are much less tempting and even not at all tempting. But it may take you a while to get there. Um, And in the meantime, you know, I don't have, I don't have a way to just magically switch off the fact that you've learned, you know, your whole life that candy is a reward or whatever. And now you're, you know, 50 years old and denying yourself these things. And it, it sort of sucks. And that's just how it is. But there is a trade-off, of course, that's well worth it. But I can't take away the kind of sucky part for you. Well, I mean, if if we take the time to disengage from that, uh, that, that, that reactive behavior where we, you know, reach for the candy and it's so good and it's been there for decades as a treat and kind of uh, evaluate why this is so important and why this is so uh, delicious. It's like Mark says, that few moments of gustatory pleasure going down the pipe, and then it's gone. So, you know, once you had that uh, that, that bite of your snicker bar, moved it around a little bit in, in your mouth and swallowed it, uh, that's pretty much marking the end of the pleasure experience. And then you have a reaction, like when I tell my story of how I used to love cheesecake as my big treat, and then the last several times I've had it, and I've had it for maybe two or three times a year uh, in recent years uh, since, you know, since, I, since going primal, where it was a really rare occasion. 
And it does taste good going down, but then when I notice that fluttery heartbeat and sort of that drop in energy, maybe some gas or bloating or, you know, reactions, because now you're finely tuned because you've cut out all the junk from your diet that's going in, you know, for, for years and decades, all of a sudden the overall experience is not really that pleasurable. And I'm not just saying this for me, but for anyone who just pays more attention to their diet and realizes that consuming nutrient-dense foods um, you know, did not give you any any pleasure in terms of energy or enhanced cognitive function or uh, any of that stuff. It's just uh, a, a taste bud, uh, uh, you know, spike of a, a dopamine hit, a, a brief uh, experience of pleasure, and then it's over. And then you got to look at the psychological ramifications of feeling lousy because you uh, broke from your um, your goals and dreams for an indulgence. And if you can kind of get into that, uh, you know, mindset where you're a little bit more deliberate with your choices and you you know weigh the relative uh the relative payoff between having that uh that 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 cheesecake or that cupcake uh versus you know taking a stand in the name of your health and maybe even being uh, a positive role model for people around you who are you know in that decadent mindset where they they're allowed everything and they can tell their stories about, hey, what, why are you sitting this one out? This is, you know, this is great. It's about enjoying life or, or all those kind of things. Uh, then we get into a whole different perspective where you might even feel better by passing rather than indulging. Yeah, for sure. And so I say, you know, to people all the time that this is something that you're not going to choose for yourself now, right? If you're starting out, you need to make these choices that this is not consistent with my goals and that maybe you can enjoy these things occasionally later. But my experience has absolutely been that once people go primal and go keto, that those old things that they thought were the things that really brought them pleasure, not only don't bring them pleasure anymore, but often make them feel terrible. And then they realize like, oh, I felt like this all the time and just didn't know there was a better option. Or that once people have kind of cleaned up their diets and are eating these high quality nutrient dense foods, you know, maybe they are having a reaction, a stronger reaction to these less, you know, nutrient dense, low quality foods than they did before because their bodies are now running at a different level. And that even though it feels like deprivation at first to not include these foods in your diet anymore, for most of us, we will get to a place where we genuinely don't want to because they just make us feel gross. Right. And, and, and you do get kind of left out. I mean, you do. You do get a little bit left out socially. <laughs> it's true. Like, you know, you go to the bowling alley with your friends or whatever, and everyone's eating chicken fingers and French fries after putting their hands in the disgusting holes of the bowling ball and just ignoring that whole oh, grossness. But Oh, you just and, you just totally psyched me out of I'm never going to have fries again at a bowling alley. But, you know, I mean, and maybe that was a thing that you used to really enjoy. And at first, you know, you it feels gross, you know, and then you're being left out with your friends. All your friends are enjoying it. But honestly, for I think a lot of people who have been doing this for a while can attest that it those kinds of things, you remember why they used to be pleasurable and you recognize that you're like, oh yeah, I remember when that was fun, but it's not fun anymore. And so the temptation isn't there anymore. It's like the memories of it being fun are still there, but the temptation to engage in it is gone. And by the way, your friends get used to what you're doing and it's okay. Like maybe some of them come along for the ride. Maybe they just accept you as like, oh yeah, the weird friend who doesn't do this anymore. 
But and if your friends are not coming along for the ride and they're continuing to give you a hard time, you know, months down the road, find new friends, find new friends. Exactly right. Those people are not cool. It's so not cool. Yeah, not. Cool it's like the what's the um, the 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 um, the animal that's in the bucket trying to get out and they'll they'll pull. Is that the frog? What animal's doing that? I forgot. Oh, when the when they keep pulling each other back down. Yeah. What is that? The let's say mice. Frog beetles <laughs> i have no idea uh you know the I, understand, mice dr- I understand the analogy though yeah the mice are drowning in a bucket and it, i mean this is um observed phenomenon that the uh, if one's going to get free they're going to pull them back down it's like we, we like to commiserate and we don't want someone you know in our in our social group uh you know rising and shining above the above the mean above the baseline and so you know it's it's worth mentioning that you these are the um these are the forces that you're going to be battling against when you're trying to take a stand for your health. Uh, but all that said, uh, we're also not talking about sitting here on the sideline with um, a bowl of Tupperware, you know, consuming lettuce. It's like you can find these new wonderfully indulgent treats and preparations and have so much fun in the kitchen making uh, the fat bombs that were in the keto reset diet and the, the great, um, stuff in the keto reset instant pot cookbook where you're talking about speaking of cupcakes we have cupcakes in Mm -hmm. here but they're not made with those offensive ingredients the bacon dark chocolate nut clusters wild stuff that tastes so good that i'm gonna say uh, you know i'll stake my reputation on it that these are as good or better than the store-bought garbage that you know people uh, laud as like the, you know the the top level of uh, enjoyment in in the diet the the pints of Ben and Jerry's or whatever it is I mean you can beat that with these homemade preparations that are uh, that are keto friendly and you will actually come to prefer those even if it doesn't even if you're coming from a place of a sad diet and it feels really far away right now you genuinely will come to prefer those. Well, Lindsay, we got started talking about uh, the book, the Keto Reset Instant Pot Cookbook. <laughs> thanks for uh, thanks for jumping on on short notice to get this show out right at the coinciding with the the, the exciting release of this book. Uh, Mark is so excited too; he's a real enthusiast. And um, boy, oh boy, maybe we'll have a part two because we're making so many fun recipes in here. The possibilities are endless. Oh, for sure. Yeah, we and I want to mention that Mark and I were just at Paleo FX and we got to see the book in person for the first time and talk to some people about it and give away some free copies. And it looks beautiful. We're really excited to see how all of our hard work and my triple instant potting and, you know, Layla's instant potting and Mark's instant potting were all in different parts of the country and, you know, getting this all put together. And it was just really exciting to see it in person. So I hope that everyone really enjoys it when they receive their copies. Right. You can go to ketoreset.com and there's an instant pot landing page, uh, ketoreset.com slash instant pot. But everything about the Keto Reset is on that wonderful website, including our mastery course, our comprehensive mm-hmm. multimedia digital experience to learn about all the things and the concepts covered in the book. And then uh, when you order this Instant Pot cookbook, uh, we're extending it past the official release date. It's sort of a pre-order campaign, but we get value-added content, including Mm -hmm. video at home with Lindsay in her kitchen showing you how to (laughs) use this wonderful creation, this contraption. So make sure to go over to that website and uh, 
take advantage of all the promos and grab the book today wherever wherever you like to buy books. Yep, and then come find me in our Keto Reset Instant Pot or our Keto Reset Facebook group where we're going to be testing all the Instant Pot recipes and we are always talking about delicious food and giving each other social support and being each other's community. If you are one of those people that doesn't have other keto people in your life, definitely come find us there. You know, I'm always I'm there basically every single day answering questions and we have an amazing community of people there who are all living the life and giving each other feedback and it's a really wonderful community. Brad Kearns for Lindsay Taylor. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. So Chris Kelly, Nourish, Balance, Thrive, we're, we're talking about health and you're telling me a funny story about your picky four-year-old daughter that won't eat unless there's Primal Kitchen uh, condiments on the table. It's true. My daughter will not eat unless there's f***ing the Primal Kitchen Wilder. <laughs> it's, it's this cute thing, actually, she does. We have a local state park called Wilder Ranch. Oh, yeah. And uh, she calls the ranch dressing Wilder Ranch dressing. Which <laughs> we, 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 there's no way we're going to correct her on that. It's just too perfect. So, so endearing. Uh, how old um, is she? She's four. Oh my gosh. So she likes like the mayo on a Oh yeah, she so she loves those sort of, we love them as well. We have uh we, we eat them all the time. We eat the mayo, we eat the balsamic, we eat the the ranch, um the avocado oil we use all the time. And and so, you know, that's completely genuine and I don't mind talking about that because you took the pain in the ass out of condiments. I really appreciate that. What an authentic spot from Chris Kelly at Nourish Balance Thrive. And yes, Primal Kitchen, you can call it Wilder Ranch Dressing if you want. And uh, we'll send five cents of the proceeds over to that beautiful state park because they're, they're trying to make ends meet in Santa Cruz Mountains. Thank you very much, Chris. <laughs> it's my pleasure.